Mic check, one, two, mic check. Yes, yes, I can hear you fine. Okay, thanks.
Okay, good morning everyone. I'd like to call us to order. This is the Board of Supervisors meeting of September 26, 2023. I'm going to ask our clerk to take the roll and read how people can participate remotely. Supervisor Rice? Here. Supervisor Lucan? Here. Supervisor Sackett? Here. Supervisor Ridgeley? Here. Supervisor Moulton Peters? Here. Icons located on your screen. Are participating by landline, please press star nine to raise your hand. When it's your turn to speak, your name will be called and you will be asked to unmute your device. If you are participating by landline, you will hear that you are unmuted. That concludes the instructions and I will pass the meeting back to President Moulton Peters. Thank you. Welcome everyone. Nice to see so many of you in the chambers this morning. We have a lot to celebrate and we're gonna start with a request from Supervisor Rodoni and the Board of Supervisors to adopt a resolution Hispa celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. I'm gonna turn it over to Vice Chair Rodoni. Uh, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning on behalf of District 4 and the Board of Supervisors proclaiming National Hispanic Heritage Month in Marin County. September 15th to October 15th, 2023. Whereas it is important to recognize and celebrate the contribution of the Hispanic, Latino, Chicano, and indigenous people of America's community. And whereas the September 1968, President Johnson proclaimed Hispanic Heritage Week, which was expanded by Cong Congress in 1989 to a month long celebration. And whereas Marin County history records early Spanish settlements with many Spanish names still gracing our county as the names of our cities, towns, streets, and neighborhoods, including Tiburon, Sausalito, San Rafael, Novato, San Anselmo, Corte Madera, among others. Mission San Rafael was built in 1917 and is one of the 21 mission buildings along the El Camino Real and one of the oldest buildings in our county and as the month of September is a significant month in the history of Latin America, as it marks the anniversary of the independence of Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Mexico, and Chile, and whereas Spanish is a beautiful, expressive, and versatile language that is the native language of more than 500 million people from around the world, and whereas one out of five residents in Marin County self-identifies as Hispanic, Latino, Chicano, or indigenous people of the Americas. And many US-born citizens in Marin proudly celebrate their ancestry from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, Central America, and South America. And? Whereas the Marin County Organization of Latino Employees, also known as MCOLE, was created to support Hispanic, Latino, AEX, Chicano, AEX, and indigenous people of the Americas, and those who identified with the culture by recognizing their leadership through networking opportunities that empower them to share their success and challenges. It is a platform to raise one's voice for politics, social, educational, and economic reform for the Latino community, and to acknowledge their leadership through a speaker forum. And whereas MCOLA, MCOLE, will continue to provide a safe environment where Marin County employees can come to express and share their concerns, challenges, and stories. MCOLA is determined to continue outreach to Marin County employees such as the donut and coffee event and other festivities. MCOLE is an inclusive, welcoming affinity group and is dedicated to supporting the increase 
in retention rate for Hispanic employees at Marin County. And? Whereas the success of Hispanic, Latino, Chicano, and indigenous of the Americas residents is vital to our continued local, regional, and national prosperity, and we must ensure that they are empowered with the tools and opportunities they need to thrive. These residents work, contribute, and play in our society to continually shape the way we move forward most diversely and equitably. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Board of Supervisors hereby proclaims the month of September 15th through October 15th, 2023, as National Hispanic Heritage Month in Marin County. And be it further resolved that the Board of Supervisors recognize and celebrate the contributions of the Hispanic, Latino, Chicano, and Indigenous of the Americas community to Marin County, including their contributions to the arts, culture, education, business, public health, government, and sports. And? Be it further resolved that the Board of Supervisors encourages all residents of Marin County to deepen their understanding of Hispanic, Latino, Chicano, and indigenous peoples of America's cultures and heritage by visiting museums, participating in cultural events, and engaging with literature and articles that explore Hispanic history and culture. And be it further resolved that the Board of Supervisors of the County of Marin sincerely thanks the Marin County Organization of Latino Employees leadership for their dedication to empowering and uplifting Hispanic, Latino, Chicano, and indigenous voices of the America's leaders in our community. Okay, thank I, you. And I so move. Second. Thank you, moved by Bredoni, seconded by Rice. Uh, is there public comment on this item? Please come to the podium. Good morning. Board of Supervisors. I am Jasmine Gonzalez, and this is Estefania Grock. We are co-chairs to MCLA Indigenous Tribal Descendants. MCLA, Marin County Organization of Latinos Employees, was the first founded affinity group in Marin County's worksite. I am proud to stand here and highlight the accomplishments that MCLA has done in the past year. We have increased our membership significantly. We have a total of 143 members. We have broadened our inclusivity and equity to include indigenous tribal descendants. We are revamping our meaning to include important resource that deepens our awareness of our culture to our members. We celebrate and recognized Cesar Chavez Day on March 31st, 2023 as a county holiday. Cesar Chavez was a labor leader and civil rights activist best known for his tireless efforts to improve the working conditions and rights of farm workers in the United States. He said, if you're not frightened, then you might fail. If you'll, nev you'll never do the job. If you are frightened, you will work like crazy. MCLA is here to help our members with career growth guidance so employee retention can continue to rise. We are here to support one another with questions and challenges that might have arise. We are here to work towards for a bright future in Marin County. Estefania has a quote to share. Good morning, Board of Supervisors. Julian Castro said, Al final, el sueño americano no es una carrera corta, ni siquiera una maratón, sino un revelo. Nuestras familias no siempre cruzan la línea de meta en el lapso de una generación, pero cada generación transmite a las siguientes los frutos de su trabajo. In the end, the American dream is not a sprint or even a marathon, but a relay. Our families don't always cross the finish line in the span of a generation, 
but each generation passes on to the next the fruits of its labor. MCLA vision is to continue for more generations to come and continue the work. Please accept our resolution to proclaim National Heritage Month here in Marin County. Thank you. That is all, thank you. More behind you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Raymond Little Taylor, Assistant Director of Public Services for the Library. Thank you to the Board of Supervisors, President Moulton Peters, and Supervisor Radoni for the invitation and opportunity to share information from the Marin County Free Library as part of the resolution to honor and celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. At the library, every month is an opportunity for us to celebrate and honor the contributions of the indigenous and Latinx communities that we serve and our Latinx and Spanish speaking staff. The mission of the Marin County Free Library is to provide welcoming, equitable, and inclusive opportunities for all to connect, learn, and explore. Historically, libraries have struggled to meet this mission, and members of our community, including our Latinx community, have not felt welcomed or included in our spaces and services. As I stand before you today, we recognize that libraries have come a long way, but we still have more work to do to fulfill this mission and ensure that all feel welcome in our spaces, and we have a duty to promote racial equity in Marin. Joining me in chambers today is our strategic planning staff work group and consultant team, the Margaret Sullivan Studio. And as we launch this process, we will center racial equity as part of our strategic planning in alignment with the board's priorities and the county's Office of Equity. I'd like to share just a few highlights about upcoming Hispanic Heritage Month celebrations at the library. We have two concerts with Cascada de Flores, October 7th in Marin City and October 15th in Corte Madera. On October 13th from 3 to 5 p.m., we invite you to join us at the Civic Center Library's open house where our California room is unveiling a new exhibit, Story of a Shawl Celebrating a Marin Family with Chilean Roots. We'll have music from Chilita Vinyl Club, original art making, and delicious food. Please join us. I want to take a moment to just recognize MCLA and their leadership team to build, who contribute to building community and centering the rich, diverse heritage. At MCFL, we have an internal staff committee dedicated to leading Spanish services. It's my pleasure to introduce one of the co-chairs for that committee, Daniel Avalos, who's gonna share information about the incredible work of that team. Good morning. I stand before you as, as a representative of a dedicated, resilient, and hardworking team that forms Marin County Free Library Spanish Services Committee. Our group's mission is to develop ways to inform our Spanish-speaking community about the library and its services to, do, to better understand and fulfill the needs of our patrons. Recognizing the significance of our role as leaders in our organization and within our community, one of our primary goals is to represent the indigenous, Latinx, and Spanish-speaking communities we serve, not only through the content of our material collections, but through staffing, visibility, and cultural engagement. We are actively creating an environment where our diverse, indigenous, and Spanish-speaking communities guide the development of our programs and resources, ensuring that our service, collections, resources, and programs uplift our communities and close the language, educational, and technology gap. We continue to develop meaningful physical and digital collections, provide programming and educational initiatives in Spanish, have launched personalized one-to-one -one technology help in Spanish, provide ESL classes both in person and online, and offer support for naturalization and citizenship processes. The culmination of this effort is reflected in our Primaveras initiative, which took place this spring and will be held during Nevada Unified School District spring breaks ne uh, next April. Primaveras represents the symbolism of life, flourishing, and above all, the resilience of our communities. Primaveras is a bilingual initiative that celebrates and honors the diverse Latinx diasporas and Spanish-speaking communities. Our goal is to develop strategies 
and uh, community-driven initiatives that are culturally relevant and reflect these experiences in diverse communities. During the celebration, library staff, performers, and community partners shared information with the community, provided entertainment, and fostered community-building activities, all while enjoying delicious tacos and listening to music from a Bay Area DJ. I am confident that if I'm standing before you next year, I will be able to add to this list of accomplishments, which is a result of dedication and intentionality. Behind our initiatives is a group of dedicated individuals who pride themselves on providing customer service to our Spanish-speaking, indigenous, and Latinx communities. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Next, please. Good morning, Carrie Bierman, Social Services Director. I wanted to also offer my support for this resolution, and I wanted to speak specifically for a moment about the immigrant population, which is a subset of this important group that's being recognized. Support of immigrants in our community is an important piece of the racial equity efforts of Health and Human Services and of the county. And I wanted to call out and just mention our Immigrant Rights and Justice Work Group, which is a collaborative county and community partners. It's led by myself, MCF, Aliados Health, Marin SF Food Bank, Community Action Marin, and First Five Marin. The group started back in 2017 as the Public Charge Work Group and has since changed and broadened. So at this point, we focus on things like equitable recovery from the COVID crisis, ensuring access to benefits and services, including disaster services, implementing federal immigration relief policies, and reducing educational disparities. So as you can see, these um, initiatives are so broad, they have positive ripple effects for both immigrants and non-immigrants non alike. Um, anyone who's interested, um, wants to know more, wants to join the group, can contact me or any of the organizations that I just listed. And again, just thank you so much for your support of this important resolution. Thank you. We'll go online now to see if they're okay. Step right up if you're going to address this. Eva, are you? This item? Hispanic yes. Month. Thank you. I wanted to point out um, an obvious disconnect between this this item and what's actually happening in the county and I've noticed over the years that Board of Supervisors continually uh, re-ups police budgets um, and we know that there's a 32-year record of very severe arrest disparities especially of Latinos especially of Latinos and then you put together a sheriff oversight civilian working group that excluded any Latinos from the canal the only Latino on that group was someone who lives in a like $3 million house in Strawberry who's connected to Gavin Newsom. Uh, and, you know, it's just, it's really disturbing. And also, I found out this weekend that um, Matt Willis did not explain that Bruce Goldberg. Eva, uh, I'm sorry, that is not agent. on no, this no, item. No, this is Eva, really relevant. You must contain your you comments have a to this item. Drug Enforcement Administration Special Agent. Bruce Goldberg. Eva, we're on his on Marin. He's the co-founder of RX Safe Marin. I'm sorry, this is relevant, and you cannot violate the Brown Act in that manner, Ms. Moulton Peters. It is important that we recognize the vast damage done to Latin America by the Drug Enforcement Administration. Having Bruce Goldberg on Mill Valley Aware, involved with um, behind the scenes with RX Safe Marin, OD Free Marin, which still doesn't have incorporation papers. That is a real problem. And I ask that you address that because there's, it's one thing that you have this nice award, and then there's actually how you treat Latinos in this county, lack of representation, 
over-policing, it, it is not okay. Thank you. We'll go online now for comments. The first speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. Well, I want to second what Ella just said about the fact that you're honoring um, Hispanics this month, but you also are dishonoring them by not giving them representation like in uh, such groups as the 1185 study group where you, um, you pretty much uh, exclude them. So how could you say that you, you want to represent us or listen to us when you don't want us to be on any meaningful boards? Like uh, the Human Rights Commission is, is not representative of pretty much anybody. It's, uh, uh, you should watch the July the July meeting. That's the only one that's recorded right now. They seem to have technical problems with uh, recordings and meetings, and they cancel a lot. So you, uh, I implore you to please watch it so you know what on earth you are talking about, or 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 what you're what you're doing. You are you are not representing the Latinos or the Hispanics. So. You have to watch it to see how <clears throat> we're telling you you don't represent us. Even the, the uh, Marin City <clears throat> went on to say you don't represent us, and they, they ignore us. They just, the chair, <clears throat> uh, Jeremy Porje, uh, Curtis Aikens, they just make up, they make up, you know, these things about w without any validity, without any proof. They're just their own words of saying that they represent people. They don't. So th this is you are not doing honor to the Latinos and the Hispanics by denying us this. Thank you. We're at time. Thank you. We're at time. President Mon Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, I'd like to bring this back now to the board for a vote on the resolution. It was um, mo motion by Rodoni, second by Rice. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank I you. Just add one really quick comment. Yes. I just want to um, thank um, the speakers today and all the members uh, of MCOLA. And sorry for mispronouncing that during the reading of the resolution. It's different to read it than to say it. And just the work of the group in terms of one reaching out to new employees and really sort of building that muscle in terms of engaging folks. And we really appreciate all the work you're doing um, out there every day in connecting with folks and supporting um, all our new employees to the county and those who have been here before and really recognizing and celebrating the diversity that does exist within this county organization. So thank you very much. Thank you, Katie. I think Dennis is going to present the resolution. Next item is another celebratory resolution. This time it's in celebration of the Brazilian National Heritage Month. And so 
We have members from the Brazilian community here with us today. Welcome. We're so glad to see you again this year. You were here last year. So we have a resolution, and we're going to go ahead and read that, and then we'll invite you up to make comments and then have a photo. So uh, this is in honor of Brazilian National Heritage Month. That's the month of September. I will start. Whereas the first Brazilians arrived in California in the first half of the 20th century, and today approximately 550,000 Brazilians live in California, and an estimated 1.9 million Brazilians nationwide, making the United States of America the proud home of the largest Bra Brazilian diaspora in the world. And Whereas the Brazilian community has made indelible contributions since their arrival in California, such as in services, particularly in the child care and cleaning industries, technology, the arts, film and entertainment, entrepreneurship, integration, and their commitment to the American dream, and whereas Brazilian immigrants from all states have had a significant impact on the many aspects of Marin's history since they first arrived and established a vibrant Brazilian community, and their contributions to the growth of the county are evident. And? Whereas Brazilian festas puninas are celebrated annually at the mission in San Rafael with Brazilian food, drinks, and traditional danca capira, excuse my pronunciation, and traditional games. Brazilians are also present in Marin via the practice of copiera cuisine, bossa nova music, as well as other traditional Brazilian rhythms such as samba and other cultural events held throughout the county and have become an, an integral part of their communities, drawing individuals of all backgrounds from across Marin to celebrate Brazilian traditions and keep the Brazilian culture vibrant in Marin. And? Whereas in March 2018, the only strategic plan in the United States to teach the Portuguese language and culture in California public and private schools, colleges, and universities was created by Brazilians and Portuguese in order to contribute to the rich linguistic and cultural diversity of the state and foster continual connect, continued connection between California and Portuguese-speaking communities, counties, countries throughout the world. Thank you. Whereas the embodiment of Brazilian National Heritage Month in Marin County celebrates a unique community rooted in perseverance, pride, and deep familial ties, along with the values of commitment to tradition, hard work, and to building bridges with other communities with unforgettable marks in our local culture and landscape. Now, therefore, it be resolved that the Marin County Board of Supervisors do hereby recognize the month of September as Brazilian National Heritage Month in Marin County. All right. I would appreciate if someone would move this item. I would um, love to make a motion to adopt this on behalf of myself and my District 1 aide, um, Gustavo Gonzalez, who's Brazilian. Second. Okay. We have a motion and a second. Are there speakers who'd like to speak on this item. Distinguished Supervisors, uh, my name is Ronaldo Costa. I'm the Consul General of Brazil in San Francisco. Uh, and uh, I would like to say that uh, on behalf of the Brazilian government, we are deeply honored by the initiative you take of issuing this resolution. Um, I hope to speak also on behalf of the Brazilian community here in Marin County. Uh, of which I include myself, because when I arrived to take up my post last June, I fell in love with the place, uh, and now I'm a resident of Sausalito. I'm very happy to be there. Um, and let me also add that uh, this uh, initiative is particularly welcome 
because 2024 marks 200th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations between the United States and Brazil. Um, and it's worth noting that the United States was the first nation in the world to recognize Brazilian independence uh, and has since then had a special part, uh, a place in the relationship among nations for Brazil. So thank you for this initiative. We take it with deep honor. Thank you. Thank you. Next, please. Bom dia. Good morning. Muito obrigada. Thank you, county supervisors and county staff for this resolution declared September as Brazilian Heritage Month. Obrigada, Valeria, for the initiative and leadership on the creation of this document. My name is Erica er Omena Erickson, born and raised in Rio, Brazil. But 22 years ago, I moved to Marine County. It was in Marine that I grew up as a civically-minded woman, public servant, and equity advocate. For this, I'll be forever grateful. I have served this county in many roles, including an educator, equity advocate, nonprofit executive, and as a member of the Women's Commission and Planning Commission, for example. For, for over 20 years as a Marine County resident, I have been coming to these chambers to speak on various issues, and today I feel more represented as my culture and has heritage is honored. I thank you together with my fellow Brazilian Marine residents who build their history of this county every day as administration professionals, artists, civic leaders, educators, hairstylists, childcare providers, real estate agents, artists, and in many other roles. Our heritage is colorful because we are colorful people. Our roots are placed all over the world, all five continents. Here in Marin, we are honored to build the history of Marin County with all of you every day, making it a healthier, more equitable, thriving, and more colorful community. Obrigada. Hi, I am Valeria Sasse. I'm a member of the Hood Priority Study Committee of Marin County currently, member of the Brazilian Zemigrate Movement. And it's with great pride and honor that I address you today from this podium Obrigada, all of you who came this morning. And uh, first and above all, I'd like to express my sincere thank you to the Marine County of Board of Supervisors for welcoming the idea of a very first Brazilian Heritage Month, celebrating the Brazilian vibrant community and its culture, undeniably present countywide, elevating the diversity and inclusion in our county. I would like to specifically show my gratitude to uh, the President, Stephanie, uh, Dennis and Jennifer, who helped me through this, whom I first contacted for embracing our Community Heritage Month proclamation. Uh, muito obrigada. I would like to recognize the presence of our Consul General of Brazil here, members of our Brazilian community here, culture, services, public service, everybody. Brazil is a beautiful and diverse country with a rich history and culture. Brazilians have made significant contributions to the art, science, tech, and a wide range of businesses and, and industries. Um, they are known for their warm hospitality and love of life. During the month of September, we celebrate the rich and vibrant culture of our country, the contributions of our, to our community, making them strong every day. And thank you, my husband, Scott. I'm sure you are Brazilian in another life. 
Muito obrigada. Obrigada a todos. E eu invito you all to learn more about the Brazilian culture. We have a wonderful festa junina at San Rafael Mission every June. Uh, we support Brazilian businesses, get involved with the Brazilian community, and on October 6th now, at 4 o'clock in the Mill Valley Film Festival, we have an awesome Brazilian film, River of Desire. Don't miss it. Muito obrigada. Thank you all very much. Let's go and see if there's any comments online. Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay, well, before I call for a vote, I just want to add, this is uh, a personal celebration for me. My father lived in Rio and Sao Paulo for several years, and he loved, loved, loved the people of Brazil and the culture. So very happy to do this with you today. Okay, we had a motion by Sackett, a second by Lucan. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, let us take a picture with the resolution. All right, that brings us to public open time for, oh, excuse me. We have a reception out in the uh, reception area, and so if, if folks would like to go out there, I know others are already there, so please join them. Now it's time for public open time on items not on the Board of Supervisors agenda. So if you have issues that are not on today's agenda, you wish to address the Board, now's the time. If you'd come up to the podium, give your name, you have two minutes, and then we'll go online. Thank you. <clears throat> My name is Barbara Killey. I'm a resident of San Rafael, and I'm speaking in support of the lawsuit brought by the Golden Gate Village Residence Council against the county to prevent the monstrous, monstrous housing development at 825 Drake in Marin City. The best outcome of that lawsuit would be for the county to immediately reverse their approval of the project, acknowledging that their decision to ap both approve and fund the project was, as the lawsuit points out, based on flawed, biased, and incomplete environmental assessment, or EA, and its resulting unbelievable Fonzie. They're finding that the project would have no sufficient impact on the community, a declaration similar to the old fairy tale of people declaring that the king was wearing beautiful clothing while he was parading in the nude. From the beginning, the EA was not an impartial and thorough analysis of the environmental factors involved in the proposed project but a desperate attempt to justify a terrible plan that the supervisors had decided would help them reach their new housing requirements by pouring more low-income housing into the Marin City, most densely populated and already bearing the load of the most public housing and publicly assisted affordable housing in the county, and then having the gall to defend their findings with the <coughs> statement that the site met the supervisor's goal to ensure countywide distribution of affordable housing. Um, 
The lawsuit raises the issue that the law requires consideration of a broader range of impacts than was considered in the county's EA. <clears throat> An example of the, um, let's see, where am I? <laughs> Sorry, of the counties ignoring impacts they had not considered is their justification of no displacement or disruption of the demographics of Marin City in that they, this county cited the fact that the additional population of the project is only 0.07% of the Marin County's population. Wrap up, please. Okay, I'll wrap up. <clears throat> um, the objection was based on, it should be based on the Marin, count, Marin City population, which would be 6.2%. Okay, thank you. And we're, that's we're at time. 8,000% higher than the county's assessment. Okay, next please. Anne DeVera Rosenfeld from Mill Valley, a member of Friends of Golden Gate Village and Save Our City. The cost of the project at 825 Drake is estimated to exceed 56 million. It will be funded over its lifetime using federal money provided by HUD under the Section 8 voucher program. The county would also use tax-exempt bonds and local government housing funds to subsidize the construction. Since federal and county monies will be used, it is incumbent on the county to conduct an authentic, comprehensive environmental impact review. But the review process done under the leadership of Matthew Hyman and county administrator and Sarah Jones, head of the Community Development Agency, was flawed. As the previous speaker discussed, Ms. Jones disregarded substantial evidence that the project would have numerous significant environmental impacts on the Marin City community. Their abbreviated review was based solely on source documents self-selected by the county and reflects only minimal public outreach to gather additional information. And Ms. Jones' organization failed to give public adequate time to provide comments on those impacts and it ignored important factual considerations providing whatever comments it did allow. For these and other reasons, the county's approval of the development project at 825 Avenue, uh, Drake Avenue and its concurrent request for federal housing funds should be invalidated. We understand that a lawsuit making these allegations was initiated earlier in the month. This is the second lawsuit con uh, concerning 825 Drake Avenue. My question to you is how many more lawsuits have to be brought before the county and the developers see the light? Thank you very much for this time. Good morning, my name is Nancy Miller and I represent the Mill Valley Seniors for Peace. For a number of years we've been appearing on behalf of our advocacy of Golden Gate Village and I'm happy to report that it seems that currently that the residents and the housing authority as on which you sit um, are, are moving along in a positive manner. But at the same time, there is a threat to the residents of Golden Gate Village and all of Marin City with the proposed development of 825 Drake. I happened to review a letter to the editor in last Saturday's IJ by Reverend Robert McClellan, a pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Tiburon, that hit on a lot of the issues that are currently under consideration in the first lawsuit filed against the county uh, alleging a violation of uh, TEFRA compliance. Um, Reverend noted that Marin City is barely 1% of the 
of the Marin's population and only half a square mile, as tiny as it is, it already contains 60% of the county's publicly supported housing units. And it leads the way by a dramatic margin in high density housing over other unincorporated areas. The project unevenly burdens the infrastructure, a negative effect on the quality life, and to quote the Reverend, adds to the sordid le legacy of generations of disadvantage. All of this goes to what uh, the suit over Def TEFRA, Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act, is looking at, which was the board's failure to weigh and balance the benefits of the proposal of the proposed uh, using the, the uh, tax-free bonds against the detriment. And this is what is going to be the subject matter of the trial in November, and I imagine that three of you will be the primary witnesses as to the failure to consider the detrimental effects of the uh, proposal. Thank okay. you for your attention. Thank you. Please. Good morning, everyone. My name's Juanita Douglas. I am a tenant at Village Odudawa. I am also the emergency property manager there. I'm here to talk on the inconvenience that this particular project has happened at a Village Odudawa. The main incident is that they removed all accessible stairs to the easement to get to our building. Um, when they remove these steps, there's a six foot drop from a Village Odudawa's property down to the property. All of our cleanouts for our units is within that easement. When that happened, I did call Stephanie and she did get me the information I needed to contact them. This was an emergency. All of those buildings, the sewage was backing up and there was no way to get our plumbers there. So we ended up having to put people in hotels until we were able to get accessibility to these units. When they took these stairs out, not only did there's a gate that's accessible to the property, there was no caution tape, there was no warning tape. Everyone in this unit, it's a 25 unit senior facility. If, and they go through that area to get down to the, the mall or just to take their walks. There was absolutely nothing taken care of to say that those stairs had been moved. I'm here to please. There's been a lot of other stuff. I only have two minutes, so I can't tell you all. I personally spent 38 years in the construction trade. So I know the way that this has been done is not feasible. They have just totally disrespected this community when it comes to the construction part. My living room window will be facing this. We only have 10-foot easement. Once this building go up, I'm not sure what's going to happen. The parking is going to be in that easement. Thank you. Next, please. Thanks, Juanita, and all of you bringing up important points for the Marin City community. El Nino is strong, sitting out there getting stronger, positioning us for yet another wet winter. Marin City is a bowl. It tilts downward. It's a watershed. Floodwaters reach the bottom of the bowl very quickly, paved over culverts, one of them with a narrow tunnel built over it. Inadequate sized pipes dating back to the 40s 
no parks or open space within the community, no upstream ponds. These chronic serious flooding events leave residents stranded in their cars, unable to get to their work, unable to get to their homes, have to take their children to school. Well, I guess they have to have a day off and any medical care they might need. Emergency vehicles are frequently unable to relocate. Let's sit with this for a moment. I would like you to think about your family, your parents, your children, your loved ones being frequently at risk, not be able to get out in case of a heart attack, a stroke, or other serious injury. And yet, with all these known hazards, in addition to 74 units at 825 Drake, 192 more housing units in Marin City are cited in your housing element. <sighs> Giving free Wayne for additional inappropriate sized scale uh, units in this small enclave, 342 acre small enclave. You continue to use our taxpayer dollars on lawsuits which can be avoided just as, but it repeats and repeats as in Golden Gate Village and where we needed a lawsuit to get attention. Thank you. Thank you, next please. Good morning, I'm David Rosenfeld, a resident, voter, and concerned citizen of Mill Valley. Um, as you've heard and will continue to hear, uh, there are many failings in this proposed 825 Drake project. One of the most insidious and frankly pernicious aspects of this project is the veil of affordability. Are these apartments really affordable? Does this proposal really meet the intention of the state law? The development at 825 Drake is conceived to support households earning 70% of the median income. According to HUD, the 2023 median income level is projected to be $175,000. That means the project is planned to support households earning $122,500, income of over, of over $10,000 a month. That's almost $60 per hour. That's certainly not the California median income, and certainly not Marin City income. The average Marin City resident will not be able to afford a unit at 825 Drake Avenue using the rental rates in the developer's plan. Marin City's area median income is approximately $32,000. That's a little over $15 an hour. This makes the project virtually unaffordable for local residents and will only exacerbate existing trends, encouraging the gentrification of Marin City and increased marginalization, marginalization of the people living there. So to emphasize here, there are two major problems. Number one, this project is not meeting low income needs, especially for Marin City residents. And these flawed and, uh, and misleading numbers have been used to validate their financial plan, which we as taxpayers are financing. So please see this project for what it is, simply a bait and switch used to unjustify, unjustifiably justify an inherently unjust housing development and at the taxpayer's expense. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ed Rusky. I'm, uh, I live in Mill Valley. Uh, full disclosure, I am a member of Envy Free. Um, 
I'm here to discuss the two weeks ago the board uh, uh, approved the uh, sheriff's proposal of the uh, its continued possession of high-grade military weapons and the use policy that was supposed to protect the public as a result. Uh, first, I want to thank uh, uh, Supervisor Martin Peters and Supervisor Sackett for showing the wisdom to try to slow down the rush to approve that pro that proposal, um, uh, and uh, and to and Supervisor Moulton Peters' proposal that there be a study group set up to do this. That is the group that should have been uh, created at the beginning of uh, right after the law was passed. Uh, you uh, approve the sheriff's uh, possession of weapons, which include multiple machine guns, dozens of automatic rifles. Uh, you approved the sheriff's use policy. Uh, the AB 480, uh, 481 says that a use policy must be created by the sheriff to uh, protect the public welfare, the public safety, civil rights, and civil liberties of the public. Uh, the, the use policy does none of that. Please address that. The more lethal the weapons are, the more robust the use policy must be. It not the, all the sheriff said was what the things were used for. We want to know, and your policy should include, what they can do with those weapons, and particularly what they cannot do with those weapons. Uh, please create such a robust uh, use policy. Thank you. Next, please. Good morning, Speaker. Uh, good morning, Supervisors. Scott Ty with uh, Marin Surfrider. First, I'd like to congratulate you. You're having your first fall Board of Supervisors meeting, so happy fall. Um, I have three little tiny items. One is in keeping with the Indigenous Peoples Declaration, we are having a Surfrider beach cleanup at Mirror Beach, which was historically an Indigenous Peoples gathering area on October 8th at 11 a.m. So I just want to get that out there. Um, second, a week ago, the Chronicle put a front page article on Mylar plastic balloons. I believe I spoke to this board about 10 or 11 years ago, representing Surfrider, with this same concern when this was kind of in the high point of the wave of interest and, and attention and said that these balloons were, first of all, extremely hazardous for fire. We have our fire chief here. Hopefully he and others in county administration can put together some sort of a task force or a community group to talk about this. Several communities, including counties in, in, in the state and uh, cities, have banned these Mylar plastic balloons. You can go to any Safeway in any of your districts and find them hanging up with birthday and other salutation messages on them. Um, I would recommend that you read this. The third thing has to do with um, the environmental hazards of the LCP. It has not been addressed by anyone in over two years. I sit on the oversight group that was recommended by county planning to talk about that. We haven't been called in two and a half years, so I'd also like to recommend to the director of planning 
that we reinstitute that. Thank you. Okay, one last speaker in the chamber. Eva, are you speaking? And then we'll go online. Um, with regard to 825 Drake, um, I just wanted to remind the supervisors, um, because they never got back to me about it, uh, Piper French in the New York Review of Books wrote a terrific article called A Housing Crisis in Paradise, which addresses the issue in Marin City. And she talks about it in a great deal more detail um, than you've read about it in the Marin IJ or the Pacific Sun. And part of that, the, uh, the explanation for that is because the Marin IJ has an official partnership with the county, at least one official partnership, which was revealed recently. Uh, and the, uh, the Pacific Sun is apparently in line to receive uh, part of $40,000 in media buy um, as part of your, your new anti-drug messaging. So that's, um, that is a little compromising for both of those publications. Now, we don't know what other monies either of these publications have received or what other official partnerships uh, they've had, but we can see from the reporting uh, of policing in both of those publications uh, that, that they have uh, typically taken a, a county line. Um, and if, if you want to review that, it's in the archives. Um, I want to point out that I got 299 documents from county council uh, in response to my CPRA regarding uh, correspondence between NACOL and the county. Um, and I'm going through that. It's very clear from the correspondence that the working group members knew that they were part of an exclusionary and dysfunctional process and yet um, they continued on with 12 meetings uh, from which the public was restricted. Uh, I'm still missing eight of the 12 videos and what you can see from the correspondence in the CPRA is that uh, these items which the county says it deliberately destroyed and NACOL says it accidentally destroyed, uh, that, that these were sent back and forth in email and so there should be more than four videos. What's on the oh, existing- Oh, I'm sorry, we're at time, Eva. <coughs> Okay, last speaker in the chamber, and then we'll go online. Good morning, Damien. I scratched my eyes, so excuse my eye appearance. <laughs> um, I spent four, four and a half years in the uh, Marin City Community Service District Board, two years as the uh, board chair. Uh, we had a very important meeting, and this meeting uh, included many departments uh, with the county, one being uh, the person was there was Sarah Jones with the CDA. And in, in this discussion, it was very important to have them at this meeting to discuss why uh, the Environmental Health Department turned its back on Golden Gate Village. So some of you should know this, that for 10 years, environmental health would not serve uh, Golden Gate Village residents. Simply said no. T today, as you know, you've heard, many residents are still living in squalor, still living in poor and horrid conditions. These conditions contribute to the 20-year-plus life difference, 20-year life expectancy difference from Marin City residents to Ross residents. 20-plus years life expectancy difference. With that said, environmental health, Tom Lai's um, leadership, he made some changes. You're aware of this. He's made some changes. This is your district. He made some changes. Those changes are not apparent. I don't know what these changes look like. 
I've asked Sarah to come to the community. She's refusing to. She gives me excuses to give the community excuses. Stephanie, this is your district. I'm asking you, environmental health, what has changed? And the last, since you came to that meeting, I, it was over, it was about a year and a half ago. What's changing, what's changed? And how you are engaging with people living in squalor at Golden Gate Village in Marin City. The residents that, environmental health, I'll say it again, turned his back on and refused for 10 years to serve that population. So I asked Sarah to come here, if she's willing to, or yourself, to, to describe what has changed. And I, one last point is Very waiting for the property to be rehabbed, that's not the answer. And that's not what's happening. Okay, we'll go online now. Current speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. Here in Marin, a substantial portion of the population appears to be in a state of chemically induced apathy deadened to the political reality around them. Mobilized by a media-manufactured fear campaign, their government was medicalized, so they lined up mindlessly to take the experimental injections on offer in the medical industrial complex, notwithstanding the lack of sufficient evidence as to their safety or efficacy. They were asked to trust the science, trust Dr. Fauci, Taking a page out of the climate alarmist playbook on sea level rise, the agenda's creators recognize that it's not that difficult to get the public to suspend disbelief. Hollywood does it all the time. So as if they were a modern day flock of lemmings, the majority of Marinites walked right off the pharmaceutical cliff. Soon, Operation COVID's ringmaster, Fauci himself, will be in Marin under the big top of the theater next door to you to hold court over his supplicants, protected by his taxpayer-funded million-dollar-per-month security detail, which speaks for itself. I think we should all remember Science is not something you trust. Quite the opposite. Science is founded on skepticism. Those who differ with this assertion are either ignorant or are out to mislead you. Thank you. The next speaker is Deborah Turner. Please unmute. Deborah, we see you unmuted, but it looks like your microphone—yeah, your microphone is not working. Please try again. Deborah, we still can't hear you. We'll come back to you. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. Hi. Let me uh, just add something to what's going to happen at. Um, at Marin City, uh, from my experience in the San Francisco Fire Department for over 40 years, and leap and leap and working with high-rise um, units. Now, I don't know if any of you remember, but they had once upon a time the Geneva Towers south of San Francisco, 
it's uh, multi-stories. It started off as market rate, um, uh, you know, rentals, apartments. Then it got turned over to the city as uh, subsidized renting. But they had problems. They had just, it never worked out. It, uh, they had crime. They, it only takes one person to start urinating in the hallway, hall, in the elevator to start intimidating and, uh, and ruining everything. So it never worked out. And guess what? They blew them up. Blew up these high-rise Geneva Towers. But what they found out was they also had um, townhouses around there. Those always were worked out, always. And to this day, they're absolutely beautiful and well-maintained. And the people there are take a lot of pride in maintaining them. So the Geneva Towers, the same as all the towers in San Francisco, like one of them, uh, the Pink Palace, where they would uh, shoot us. They would shoot at our firehouse right across the street on Turk Street. And or throw uh, you know items at us when we went over there for uh, medicals, you know it doesn't work out. And you and the developers know that because they have to study all of this kind of stuff. So that you, so it's not going to work out. You're going to have problems, and it's just going to be a waste of money, and it's just going to be a dream for developers to make money. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, the returner, we're coming back to you. Please unmute. Deborah, we still cannot hear you. We will come back to you. The next speaker is Richard Falk. Please unmute. Yes, um, just wanted to make a quick comment on the uh, statement that was uh, made with respect to uh, you know, vaccinations in our community and such that uh, they say, as I have mentioned in the past, uh, saved uh, uh, many lives, uh, being one of the most highly vaccinated counties in the nation. Um, we had far, far fewer deaths um, over a factor of six lower than the uh, national average if you account for uh, age adjustment given that we're an older uh, community. And uh, instead of 317 deaths, uh, we would have had uh, over a thousand if we were uh, more like the U.S. and if we had not done um, anything and just had everybody get infected, which of course wouldn't happen because people were social distancing and such, but had that happened uh, early on before tr the main treatments and antivirals and all that, you know, it's almost 3,000 deaths. So at a minimum, we were saving, you know, relative to even the U.S. vaccination rates, you know, about 700 deaths uh, saved, or lives saved, I should say. Um, and that's, you know, an incredible achievement. And, you know, as far as with uh, you know, the costs associated with any, you know, the adverse effects and things of that nature. Um, again, it's a relative safety uh, question. And, uh, you know, while not perfect in the county, we did a, a really outstanding job and should be proud of it. Um, thank you. Deborah Turner, we're coming back to you. You are muted. Can you try your microphone again, please? Deborah, unfortunately, we cannot hear you. Uh, please disconnect from Zoom and update your application and try again later. Thank you so much. President Moon Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, thank you. And um, Ms. Turner, if you'd like to send an email either to the county clerk or to me personally, that would be fine. 
Um, okay, we're gonna close public open time now and uh, move now to item number three. This is Board of Supervisors matters and informational updates and our administrator's report. Uh, Supervisor Radoni. Good morning, everyone. A couple things to report this morning, but first of all, I wanted to request that CB2 be pulled from the consent calendar for public comment from the Surfriders Foundation and a chance for staff to respond to any questions. Um, last week, Marin County Fire and PG&E, thank you to Jason Weber, showed off the firefighting helicopter at Knox Field. It was attended by several of us, including Supervisor Lucan and many, many residents were, were, were quite happy to see that, that helicopter sitting there ready to uh, address any fire issues that we have in Marin or the North Bay. Um, on Saturday, I participated in a roadside cleanup in uh, West Marin as part of the Coastal Cleanup Day. Um, got a question about how come we're doing roadside cleanup when it's Coastal Cleanup Day, and I made a note to say that all streams lead to our ocean and I think that uh, in other waterways too, so I think the person understood that when I told them. Um, our Marin County Agriculture Roundtable is going to be this Thursday, 8.30 to 12, at San Geronimo Commons. This is the first roundtable that we've had since COVID, and we're looking forward to that. And then I'd like to adjourn in memory of Herb Cutchins, who spent four decades in West Marin, taught social work classes with an emphasis on criminal justice at Sonoma State and University of Hawaii and hosted Politics 101 on KWMR and wrote several articles on controversial subjects for the Point Reyes Life. Herb was 88 years old. Thank you. Thank you. Supervisor Sackett. Yes, thank you. I'd like to um, adjourn today in memory of Chris Shaw, who worked for the county for a very um, long time. She had a huge part in most events that happened here, the Marin Teen Girls Conference, the county's COVID response, um, and I think most significant and long-lasting, many of our affinity groups, Maple, Saga, and MCOA. There wasn't an event in this building in the last um, decade or more that she didn't have her hands on, um, not only helping to plan, but making sure that people came, showed up, and um, were connected to others within the county. Um, when I started working here in 2017, she um, was, I attended the first employee craft fair. Who helped organize it? Chris. And who was, um, had little succulent gardens for people's desktop? Chris. Uh, at the same time, through all of the um, networking and community events, she had an incredibly demanding job um, in as an um, uh, equal employment specialist, really dealing with some of the hardest issues that we have in our county workforce. She worked amongst all of us to improve diversity, equity, inclusion within the county workforce and within the community. Um, she took advantage of a stretch assignment, spending time um, in health and human services and helping execute the benefits fair. She was always thinking of others um, before herself, and I think she would have been proud to have been here today to hear the resolutions that we had. Chris was the first, one of the first people I met in the county um, on the Women's Commission. She represented Marin County and its workforce with grace and inclusion and really was um, somebody who touched so many people in her own way with a quick wit, um, but really welcomed everybody. 
She leaves behind her mother, Susan, her loving husband, Steve, um, and her daughter, Josie. And there is a celebration of life for Chris at McNear's speech on November 5th. Yep, Supervisor Rice, nothing. Supervisor Lupa. Uh, just a quick one, as a member of the Smart Board of Directors, along with Supervisor Sackett, just want to share a quick update. We got some great news uh, at the end of last week that Smart secured another $31.5 million for our expansion heading north. Um, we've uh, continued to bring in grants at the regional level, state level, federal level, uh, over $200 million just in the past couple years. Um, at one point, the total price tag to expand to Windsor and Healdsburg uh, was over $250 million. We're just about uh, $50 million away now of making that, that dream a reality. Uh, so great news with this additional $31.5 million that just, uh, just came in a few days ago. Thank you. And I'll finish up uh, with uh, reporting out on two really wonderful events in Marin City this past week. One uh, last Thursday was the ribbon cutting for the new Marin City Health and Wellness Clinic expanded clinic that's opened there now and will provide more um, health and dental services for people of all ages uh, in Marin City and Southern Marin. So uh, kudos to Harold Wallace and Nancy Johnson and the full board. Uh, Director McLaren was there and uh, uh, Administrator uh, Matthew Heimel. A lot of, lot of county support there, so glad to see everyone out. And then uh, Saturday night was the 65th anniversary of the Marin City Community Services District. A wonderful celebration was held uh, looking back at the history of the Community Services District uh, and all that has happened during the ensuing year. So I was glad to be part of that. Congratulations to the CSD. And with that, I'll turn it over now to our county administrator. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, supervisors. Just one item to point out. Um, we have submitted a revised item eight. Um, and uh, specifically, we inadvertently did not include um, elected uh, department heads uh, for the supplemental be benefits payment. Um, I think that's partly because in the past two years they have not received the one-time retention uh, payment, but we think it's appropriate to include them for the benefit payments like we are making the other adjustments. So I just wanted to point that out, and we'll go into further details when we get to the item on the agenda. Okay, very good. Uh, public comment now on these uh, report outs. Is there anyone in the chambers? Uh, Eva, I see you. If there's anyone else, uh, please go ahead and line up. Um, yeah, thank you. I, I just want to point out that it should never have had to be necessary for me to run a CPRA um, regarding the uh, Sheriff Civilian Oversight Working Group that uh, Mr. Heimel put together. Um, I also want to point out that what 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 really needs to be put on the agenda and that which the Board of Supervisors never comment on is how much they have facilitated um, what is a creeping policification of virtually every uh, entity in the county. And, and the most recent example of this, I think, would be something called Marin Healthy Youth Partnerships. And I wrote a little bit about their quote-unquote let's be average campaign uh, devised by Mill Valley's Todd Lehman, uh, I, I heard a presentation that they gave a couple weeks ago and I was absolutely flummoxed. Uh, they didn't reveal that uh, their grant funding, their federal grant funding comes from the ONDCP, which is also known as the White House Drug Czar. 
which has been repeatedly faulted by uh, the GAO itself. Members of the GAO have actually called for the dismantling of the White House Drug Czar Office, the ONDCP. It's wasted billions of dollars on anti-drug messaging that actually only made teenagers want to experiment with drugs more. Um, and and the, the pattern that I'm seeing, it's, it's a complete replay of what we saw with the anti-drug messaging of the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s. It's how do you keep doing the same dumb thing over and over again and asking why kids are dying? Uh, you can read more about it uh, at rencountyconfidential.substack.com, but this really is, it's a, it's a mistake to, to funnel more money into this. Thank you. Um, again, I served on the Marin City Community Service District Board for four and a half years, board chair for two years. When I was, when we were sworn in, I was sworn in with Terry and Royce in 2018, we said no to tax credits, would have given away our facilities to an outside uh, new, new, new form nonprofit, which never happened in uh, California. What I'm getting at is, when the county turned against us, because we said, no, we won't give away CSD, I learned a lot about the county. With that said, this is why Terry Green is not being rewarded, not being celebrated for being the founder of the Health and Wellness, Health and Wellness Clinic in Marin City. Again, Terry Green is the founder of the Health and Wellness Clinic in Marin City. Uh, I won't get into too many details of, you know, this is a very sticky situation led by the county. There's also community, um, the community needs to be responsible for some of that too, but it's led by the county. How you undermine community leaders, how you undermine Terry Green, who is the founder of the Marin City Health and Wellness Clinic. I'll just keep saying it. So that wasn't, that story wasn't told Thursday. I know why. Many don't know why, but I know why. So as you talk about the Health and Wellness Clinic and how great it is, how it's expanding, remember, Terry Green is the founding member of the Marin City Health and Wellness Clinic. Thank you. We'll go online now. The first speaker is Deborah Turner. Please unmute. Deborah, unfortunately, we still can't hear you. We'll come back to you. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. I would like I would like to remind everybody that today and tomorrow, the sheriff is going to be having community meetings in uh, four parts of Marin. One of them, Nevada, one uh, College of Marin, the other one, Bell Marin Keys, uh, and one also in Marin City, but none of them in the canal. 
So again, that's non-representation of the canal and the Latinos that you're honoring, supposedly honoring. But I wanted to mention uh, and support you, Ms. Uh, President Moulton Peters, and the fact that there should be a study on the sheriff and wanting all these armored, the armored vehicles. You know, uh, you, they should study Waco. They should study, uh, you know, Parkland, Uvalde, that depended so much on, on heavy equipment, <clears throat> and they still blew it. They just, uh, it isn't, it's not equipment that saves people, it's courage. When you have a, a lack of training, a lack of courage, a lack of leadership, that's what kills people. So in a way, you having a study group that, that actually has the people that are going to be affected is what's going to work. And that's what's missing. And you have to get these people involved and really have them uh, represented. So right now, you don't have the canal uh, represented uh, you know, Supervisor Rodoni, Supervisor uh, Satchett, you, you just don't. So you got to do something or, or just admit to the fact that you're, you don't really represent them. And, you know, the rest is going to be whatever happens. So anyway, uh, the study group should have Latinos, not the Human Rights Commission. Thank which you. Is We're a at joke. time. We're at time. Next, please. The next speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. Not to be overly cynical, but in reference to what Eva said about the failure of these education campaigns and the paradoxical effect they have of actually increasing the curiosity about drug usage, um, I would like to say that I believe that it is intentional. I think we must remember that the drug problem is a business and there's the drug providers there's the prosecutors the the uh, law enforcement people there's a great deal of money that is involved in this drug industry both the manufacturers the distributors and the people involved in the incarcerations and then of course the probation departments and all the rest and yet I found that in this recent discussion around this issue, particularly, that there was no real emphasis, either at the federal or here at the local level, of looking at the supply issue, the interdiction of supply, when in fact the manufacture of fentanyl is being done right out in the open, accessible by drones, uh, by um, the people down in Mexico just over the border. And uh, at least that part of the supply could be interdicted. And I also wonder why the uh, Sheriff's Department is not talking about um, getting at the bottom of where all the supply is coming from into our schools, because wherever there's fentanyl, the cartels are there also. Thank you. We're at time. Thank you. President Mullen Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, we're going to.
close this item now and move on to item number four, the consent calendar A. Is there anyone on the board or in the public who wishes to pull anything off A? I'm not seeing anyone. I'm not seeing anyone online. I'd entertain a motion to approve. I move A. Thank you. Okay, motion uh, rise, second. Lucan, any public comment on this item? Okay, there's no one in the chambers. There's no one online. Uh, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Uh, consent B, Supervisor Rodoni has asked to pull uh, consent B2. Anyone wish to pull anything else? Not seeing anybody in the chambers. I see one hand online. Mr. Smith, are you wishing to pull something? Excuse me, please. Yes, I would like to comment on CB4A. Uh, Looking at this item, what stands out is how it normalizes surveillance, suspicious monitoring, the use of behavioral assessment techniques, the rating and recording of kids who will likely then be tracked into their future, using artificial intelligence tools by unknown anonymous so-called experts who in the future may not have the best interests of these individuals being tracked in mind. Privacy is an important part of our integrity of being even for kids. It is one of the key aspects of developing responsible self-regulating adults. Also, there's the question of the appropriate boundary lines uh, being um, violated here. Several questions arise in this regard. Who will have custody of the information acquired? How will the information acquired be secured? What penalties will be incurred should a breach of that security occur? Will the information acquired be used to promote medicating these kids with psychiatric pharmaceuticals? Will the people administering this program be required to provide those being surveilled with some, so, some form of notification or need to have their informed consent? Finally, will the surveilled and their custodians or parents have the access to the information, assessments and ratings in their particular files? I fear this is a slippery slope, another camel's nose under the tent of public education. What is planned for the few will likely metastasize and be applied to the many, which is uh, a great danger I feel going forward is for building what appears to be a surveillance state. President Mullen Peters, there are no additional speakers in the Okay, I'm not seeing any more public comment online uh, or in the chambers. We'll bring it back. Uh, we had a motion and a second. Not, not yet, I don't yet. think. I'll, okay. I'll move CB1, CB3, and CB4. And CB5 and CB6, sorry. Okay, is there a second? And then we'll go to the other second. two. Thank you. Motion Rodoni, second. Rice, all in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, let's go to the item that Supervisor uh, Rodoni wanted pulled. Yeah, I wanted to pull this item to give an opportunity for Surfrider Foundation to make some comments. Um, I think the question arose around doing environmental work, additional environmental work when it's under appeal. So I'll defer to Surfrider Foundation at this point and give staff a chance to answer. item for the public 
wouldn't the staff go first? I'm just asking. I think they don't know the question yet, so Pardon we're giving the opportunity to raise the well, question. Well, the question is, um, as Supervisor Rodoni said, this is an appealed decision. Um, August 28th, the Planning Commission approved this decision on this project, and it was appealed the next week. So the question becomes one of um, procedural timing. Um, you know, on 11-19-21, almost two years ago, the Planning Commission held its first hearing, and Rachel Reed, who's the environmental manager, requested a continuance, and they denied that and went ahead with the hearing and then decided that they really needed more information, environmental information. So that's what occurred, and on 11 22, they had their hearing. On 4-19-22, the Board of Supervisors, your board, met to approve the contract for the environmental review. Then the environmental review was presented in August, this last August, as a supplemental to the water district, Stinson Beach County Water District's um, initial study and negative deck on this project. So this was all tied up in the issue of regulation appropriateness. Um, I guess what I'm finding odd is that this organization now is wanting to reopen, and I'm asking, are you reopening the hearing, or are you trying to find things that we brought up in our contention, which we were voted down on, um, that would then be easier for the appeal. I mean, I don't care if the, it's a very small contract. I don't care if the county goes forward with this contract, but it is a procedural issue, the, the timing of this. If it's on appeal right now to your board and there's more action by the staff, I think that is a question of procedure. Thank you. Hey, staff. I can't see the light. Hi, good morning, supervisors. My name is Tammy Taylor. I'm with Marin County Environmental Planning Department, and I'm here to answer any questions, but just explain what this contract amendment is uh, regarding. It's a, a contract amendment for the secular consulting group to attend the appeal hearing, uh, which is tentatively scheduled for October 24th at the Board of Supervisors. Um, it, just because the, the funds for the existing contract have been spent with the two hearings that were um, already before the Planning Commission on this project. So if you have any other questions or there's anything else I can speak to, um, I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions. Yeah, maybe you can respond to, is this additional work beyond the work that's already been completed? So what happened was the Planning Commission did on the last hearing approve the project. Um, and so all the work that had been done on the environmental review is already concluded. If there are additional subsequent comments that come forward, the consultant would then respond to those. And also the consultant will be in attendance at the hearing to also answer any questions that should come up. So that is. This, this contract is really because the project is on appeal to your board and therefore your board may have questions regarding the environmental review. So we want to make sure that we have our consultants ready and able to answer those questions should you have any. That's what the, that's what the contract is for. 
Also, Sarah Jones wanted me to add, there were more than anticipated planning commission hearings on the item, which is why we exhausted the budget for the hearings. Okay, thank you, appreciate it. Okay, any questions? Then we'll go to public comment. Scott? Okay, uh, I'm not seeing anyone online. We'll bring it back now, Dennis. I'll move CB2. Second. And all in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Thanks very Thank you. much. Okay, item number six. It's a request from the Marin County Farm Advisor to present information on the formation and progress of the Marin County Agriculture Team. Welcome, David Lewis and team. Supervisors, while the, the team assembles, I'll go ahead and, and tee this up for you. Um, uh, good morning, President Moulton-Peters, Supervisors. I'm David Lewis, Director for UC Cooperative Extension Marin. Thank you for this opportunity uh, to give you an update on the Marin Agricultural Team across Departmental Continuous Improvement Initiative. And on behalf of my counterparts in the Community Development Agency, Public Works, the Assessors, Parks, uh, and Ag Weights and Measures. Let me do two quick thank yous. One is to Supervisor Radoni for his early and continued support of the Ag Team and along the whole way. And secondly, to all members of the Ag Team, uh, an appreciation from, from our positions uh, for all that you've done. Uh, your commitment and active participation in the professional development series uh, and your motivation to take what you've learned and apply it to your work demonstrates your leadership and initiative and how you serve Marin. Uh, so that you can be briefed on the learning and maybe even vicariously uh, experience it and then also join in, in potential implementation of next steps and, and uh, some, some ways in which that, that work continues to be improved. Uh, I'm gonna pass the, the mic to uh, three Ag Team members. Vince Trotter is uh, your Sustainable Ag Coordinator and Agricultural Ombuds in, in our department. Uh, Alicia Stamps is a senior civil engineer with the Department of Public Works, and, and Joe uh, Basho is a building plans examiner with Community Development Agency. They've got about 10 minutes. They've told me maybe 12 minutes of content to share with you, and then leaving some time for questions and answers. So Vince, Alicia, Joe, the, the floor is yours. And we'd be happy to give them a little extra time. <laughs> Thank you, and I, I think we have um, some some PowerPoint slides. Great. Thank you. Uh, so good morning, supervisors. Um, as David Lewis uh, mentioned, my name is Vince Trotter. I'm the Sustainable Agriculture Coordinator and Agricultural Ombuds with uh, UC Cooperative Extension in Marin. Um, if we can go to the next slide, please. Um, I had the privilege of working with the Marin County Ag Team over the past year as they were forming. And uh, we have many members of the team here with us today. Um, you'll hear shortly from two of them about their experiences thus far, but I, I wanted to just set the stage a bit with some background for this initiative. So firstly, what is the Marin County Ag Team? Uh, the Ag Team's fundamentally a group formed of one to three uh, individual people in each of the key departments that work most closely with Marin farmers and ranchers. Uh, these individuals have been tasked with acting as leads in their departments 
on any ag-related projects, sort of point person for permits and applications coming from the farming community. The idea is that while half of Marin, or nearly half of Marin County is agricultural lands, permit applications from our farms and ranches may not come in the door every week or even every month. So when they do, it's important that there is someone who is familiar with the ag community, who understands the context for the projects, and can consistently apply the appropriate policies uh, for these working landscapes. So to prepare members of the team to take on this role and, and build up their toolbox, uh, for working with the ag community, we put together a series of learning encounters that would give them some insight into what it means to produce food in Marin County. Our approach was to illustrate the entire food chain that connects the people who produce food to uh, folks in more urban areas who eat locally produced foods and includes the people who come from within Marin and beyond to work on our farms and in the many related industries that are part of the larger food system. As the series unfolded, members of the team got to see how agriculture really sits at the intersection of many issues affecting our whole county. Uh, issues like equity and access to food, um, adaptation to impacts of um, climate change, even transportation for moving products to market, and municipal policies that um, encourage urban food production. And generally, um, they saw the important role that farms play in a larger system of resilience that allows our communities to thrive and rebound uh, even in the face of social and environmental shocks. Um, next slide. So um, then why the team? What is the sort of higher purpose uh, of the group? In 2021, Tom Lai of the Community Development Agency and Rosemary Gaglioni of the Department of Public Works initiated a conversation around the formation of an ag team and what it could deliver for the county. Um, the objectives they set were really out of a hope that applying some focus to the unique nature of the projects um, that we see on ag lands, the ag team might develop an appreciation for how our ag operations and the county itself share a lot of interests in common. Uh, they hoped that the team could demonstrate the county's commitment to continual improvement, um, ensuring that the policies and procedures that apply to agricultural projects are in fact serving the needs of the ag community. And they hoped that by bringing a focus, or that the, the team could bring a focus of review that takes into account the needs and concerns of our farmers and ranchers and hold them in balance with the county's mandate to protect human health and safety and environmental quality. I think overall, uh, in the big picture sense, they hope that the team could facilitate more successful projects on agricultural lands, projects that allow farms to adapt, to grow, to innovate, and ultimately to survive here in Marin County. So that's sort of the, the what and the why of the ag team. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and, and pass it over to Joe Basho of the Building and Safety Department to talk about the Ag Team's past year of learning. Thank you, Vince. Good morning, everyone. My name is Joe Basho, and I'm with Building and Safety as a plant examiner. I'm very grateful for this opportunity to be here as part of the Marin Ag Team and to be able to share my experiences. And on behalf of my team, I want to convey my thanks to Vince and his associates for putting together this valuable education. Can we have you move a little closer to the mic so we can hear you better? That Thank you. 
The program has given us a glimpse into some very special people and activities and agencies that support marine agricultural efforts. The following slides will cover an overview of some of the highlights of our learning. Slide, please. Thank you. As you can see from the slide, it was a very busy year for learning about marine ag through different resources. Of the many ways we engaged with agriculture, my favorite were the field trips. Each of our six to eight hour field trip was packed with back-to-back -back stops at dairy farm, honey meadery, slaughterhouse, oyster farm, distribution centers, and more. While my personal favorites were the visit to the cheese facility and the apple farm and the samples we tasted, it was the workings of the compost facility in West Marin that was an eye-opener. It was amazing to hear from one of our highly renowned soil scientists in Marin, the philosophies and the methods that they were utilizing to tilling manure to sequester carbon for the good of the planet. Slide, next slide, please. During these webinars, panel discussions, and field trips, we covered many different topics related to food and agriculture. One that I found particularly interesting was the coastal agriculture, where we visited Tomales Bay Oyster Farm and heard their challenges and hurdles. I remember the day they vi we visited the farm, the folks there were all excited that just that morning they had received the permits from the Coastal Commission. The significance of the permit to coincide with our visit, thus that day brought home the connection of our work our department does behind the desk approving permits that has impacts on the community. As you can see from the slide, Many of the topics we explored overlap with the ongoing county priorities. For example, affordable housing, climate change, adaptation, and ensuring that we stay accessible and connected to our clients by removing barriers to successful permitting. Next slide, please. Participation on the Ag team has given us an exposure to the many facets of marine agriculture and an appreciation of this community. Agriculture is a difficult path, and it has been heartwarming to hear the life stories of these dedicated people. Now, we'll, I take back my family to West Marin and to the farmer's markets on an almost weekly basis to introduce them to the agricultural producers in our area and to shop from them and to support these activities. A couple weeks ago, I recognized a fellow who had spoken during one of our webinars on ag processing, Luke. He owns the Wild West Ferments. Of course, he doesn't know me, but I was happy to see that they recently took over the old cowgirl creamery space in Pointre Station. While there is so much to learn about marine agriculture, I'm confident now when we come across an ag-related project, the departments at our county will have a better understanding and we will be better equipped to resolve their issues. And with that, I hand it over to Alicia Stamps of the Department of Public Works who will describe the impacts on our work. Thanks, Joe. Hello, my name is Alicia Stamps. I'm a senior civil engineer with the Land Development Division of the Department of Public Works. Uh, next slide. So one of the most tremendous benefits of the ag team is the interdepartmental collaboration that occurred through the year. As a result in participation on the ag team, we all developed a much better understanding of the roles and responsibilities um, of the different departments. 
we now have known contacts in the different departments that help us uh, get answers to questions we have when projects come in through the door. Um, in addition, we learned about resources outside of the um, county, such as the Resource Conservation District and the Marin Agricultural Land Trust. These organizations are often involved in bringing um, projects to the county and having contacts at those um, agencies is really helpful for us to move projects forward. Next slide. So on a day-to-day -day basis, um, participation in the ag team has really brought into perspective perspective, the issues that face the agricultural community. For example, I have a greater appreciation for shared use of resources in West Marin, such as roads that bisect um, working agricultural lands. I consider, consider the synergy of activities such as bike races, commercial filming, and livestock management when processing these permits. In another way, Understanding the urgency and importance of topics such as affordable housing and the agriculture cycle helps me to know to bring in additional resources as needed to efficiently process permits. The agriculture cycle refers to the dependency of agriculture on seasons. If a field isn't prepped in time to plant crops, it has, uh, there, then there are no crops to harvest, no crops to sell at the farmer's market, and so on. It has a bottom line impact on the farm the workers who would have tended the crops and the markets. Permitting needs for projects on agricultural properties can be complex, but I've found that having resources available to help move um, is helpful to help move the projects forward. Next slide. So as a result of participation in the ag team, many departments have begun to implement process improvements to better serve the community. For example, collaborative cross-departmental conversations regarding specific projects have occurred to better inform the project development approval process. Recently, the team gathered to look at a series of projects on dairies that would help reduce greenhouse gases and sequester carbon. The collection of dairies are pursuing grants to build these unique projects and understanding the permitting needs better positions them to win the grants. The team was able to hear about the projects and advise the dairies on permitting requirements for the different elements of the projects. In addition, when the projects do come to the county, <laughs> uh, staff are already aware of the projects and ready to dive in. Another process improvement underway relates to planning, exploring updates to the Williamson Act contract process. I heard from planning that staff gained a better understanding of agricultural business operations and as a result is reaching out to the ag community to facilitate dialogue for better informing future contracts. These are just a few examples of process improvements taking place to support Marin agriculture. Thank you for your time. I'm gonna turn it back to Vince to wrap up. Uh, thank you, Alicia and, and Joe. Um, and thank you, supervisors, for your interest in this work. Um, at this time, I, I think we might have a few minutes for questions, um, anything that the board may want to ask. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we have many members of the ag team here in the chambers today, which I think says a lot for the general spirit of, of commitment and um, by the whole group. And I'm sure any of them could expand on or, or provide any additional information that you may want. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Can I have the members of the ag team wave, wave your hands just so we know? Hey, all right, there you are. Great, good, good, good. Okay, questions. Supervisor yeah, thank Doni. you. First of all, I want to thank Vince, David, and Stefan, and the whole team for their leadership. 
I think it was a really, really wonderful effort to connect our county, our employees to the ag community because without knowing the ag community, it's hard to regulate them. And I think this is a big advantage. So my question really is, uh, and maybe uh, Vince, you can answer this. We've created a, a way to collect a lot of knowledge uh, amongst the staff. How are we going to sustain, sustain that? What, how are we going to keep that knowledge and that effort going forward? I, I love that, that you're asking that. <laughs> I think that, um, and, and I welcome any, any uh, thoughts from the rest of the team, but one thing that we have talked about as we came to the end of this year of work is that there are many other issues that, that you know, continue to emerge and that the opportunity to bring the team together as a group and pursue some of those additional topics is, is really something that I think everyone wants to be able to do. Um, including gathering periodically simply so folks can reflect on how their work, how ag is showing up in their work and, you know, ask questions of their peers. So I think that on a very basic level, we'll see the team continue to collect as a, as a, uh, a group um, and pursue new topics, dig deeper on things as they emerge, um, even as they're pursuing their day-to-day -day work individually. And then second question would be, uh, what are you recommending as next steps? <laughs> Sorry, I should have prepped you. <laughs> no, not at all. It, I'm just conscious that the, it's a big team with um, you know, lots of really invested members. So I want to make sure folks can share if they would like. Good morning, Supervisor Sarah Jones, Community Development Agency Director. Uh, I thought I'd step in uh, and respond to some of Supervisor Radoni's questions because I think that uh, really the work is on us uh, now to carry this work and this energy forward. Um, I was going to mention it public comment, but I'll, I'll just uh, say right now that first of all, I really want to commend Vince, uh, particularly for the work he did. He made this uh, really an extraordinary effort and a great use of our time and uh, adapted the program uh, to really make it meaningful uh, for us. And so now it's going to be on us to take that forward. Uh, what one of the things that we gained in this effort was an understanding of how much the agricultural community and industry in Marin County really supports our broad shared countywide goals uh, around climate, around equity, around housing, around resilience. And so um, therefore we are really feeling compelled uh, to take what we have gained from this and apply this to a lot of different efforts and a lot of different work. Yes, to specific permits around agricultural work, but also to initiatives. Uh, one of the components of the agriculture team, of the ag team was um, we worked with a graduate student who uh, worked with the team to identify potential next steps. Those are uh, things that you know, kind of came out of uh, a lot of brainstorming and a lot of ideas. We're going to need to work further on uh, incorporating 
some of those initiatives as they make sense and really align with, um, with what we need to do into our respective departmental work programs. Um, and so that's a big piece of it. And uh, yeah, I don't know, any more to add on that? Great, thank you. Um, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate this. I think it um, makes so much sense um, as a concept around agriculture, but just generally for um, this organization that's made up of many departments and divisions to recognize that uh, almost uh, there, there's almost nothing happening out there that doesn't involve multiple divisions or departments um, that the county interacts with. So it, you know, having a, a, a team approach and understanding is really makes sense to me, as well as um, how critically important it is to have a sense of the lived experience and the industry itself from a staff perspective. We can't all have had a lived experience in all the uh, realms that we touch in terms of the regulatory world, but I think this is um, was really important to acknowledge. Um, I guess my, my question is, and, it, um, and I think you touch on it in the staff report, I think it said uh, in the staff report, the net income of individual operations across the county ag industry is roughly 56,000 per operator. And this statistic underscores the need for farms and ranches and constantly to constantly evolve and adapt their practices, their infrastructure, and business models to remain viable. So th that jumped out at me, and I'm just wondering if um, you could speak to the learning curve or the process or one of the seminars that you put together, for lack of a better word, that spoke to the economics of agriculture in the county and that intersection with regulation. It's not a softball. Well, I'll, um, I'll say a few words and then, uh, you know, if anyone else wants to comment, I welcome it. But um, the interesting thing about the economics of farming is that um, for a lot of ranchers and farmers, it is often sort of the second or third level down below the care of the animals, the, the way that they work the soil. And uh, I think that for those of us in the community of organizations that work with our farms and ranches, the constant challenge is to help producers balance the, the economic demands so that they can continue to farm and ranch um, a business that um, doesn't work on the books, doesn't last very long. And so, you know, when we were out meeting with farms and ranches, oftentimes it was woven in, um, but it was rare that we took just a single day and, and did the numbers. Um, it's something that even farmers and ranchers, I think, um, battle with. And so I, I think in, in terms of the question of what comes next, I think it's something that all of us who have an interest in seeing agriculture persist, persist have to keep our eyes on. Um, I think that there's a great deal of effort and energy around how practices are helping us from a climate perspective, from a, um, a care of the environment and a care of the, the people who are in agriculture, um, but making sure that these businesses can thrive and persist as, as an economic going concern is something we can't forget. Um, you know, hearing Joe talk about how her experiences has, 
has kind of opened her eyes to the importance of visiting markets and purchasing from farms and ranches. It's a message that we, we hear and sometimes maybe seems simple, but it's very true and powerful. <coughs> and I think in general, keeping in mind that these are not businesses that are reaping great profits, but are really, in many cases, hanging on. It hopefully informs how we all work with them. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and I also think that um, just given the fact that uh, our, our ag, our farms and ranches have really had to diversify, there's very few sort of monoculture, mono business model operating out there that that in in, in and of itself uh, in, is why sometimes that spread of regulation and permitting um, even gets expanded so I guess my, my other question is and I have a general comment too but in beyond the the uh, on the permitting side and the regulatory side you are as staff reacting to what's on the books um, you are implementing your charge so the front end of that is the development of the code um, etc and I, I'm and it, so I think it's more of a question to Sarah or perhaps to Jeremy um, or a general hypothetical sort of throw it out there question. The degree to which this exercise will help inform um, how we look at the development of code or program with regards to um, impact on a very diversified business model. So I think you've, uh, you know, brought up a really important issue. Um, so obviously all the regulations that we have for the various um, operations have reasons behind them. Um, and sometimes those reasons have uh, made a lot of sense at the time when we were first passing them and don't necessarily make as much sense now. Uh, and so I think we need to challenge ourselves to constantly reevaluate what those restrictions are understand what the effects are and change them when necessary. Um, a recent case was, you know, when one of our uh, trips, we went out and looked at farm stands. Uh, and uh, in looking at the farm stands, we realized that the regulations that we have for farm stands maybe need to be looked at again, which we did. Went, got back to the office, started tinkering with our code. We brought those amendments to your board, I think two months ago, you approved them. So we're already starting to see changes which are coming out of this. And a lot of this knowledge is most important, not necessarily because it's leading into a new initiative or into you know, a new big project, but it's because it's becoming embedded in what we do, right? And so every time we're looking at an um, opportunity to reevaluate some of those rules and regulations, we're taking that increased understanding and using that to do a little bit better. I think we need to continue that, and I think we need to continue these conversations. We need to understand the role of marketing and branding and how um, agricultural producers are really connecting to the people who are buying their food and make sure that what we're doing is aligning with those necessities of the market. Um, and uh, to add to that and kind of take it from the development code, which is regulating land use entitlements to the other codes that come into play, uh, such as septic and building code. Uh, one of the real values of this cross-disciplinary effort was that it gave us the understanding to, uh, or, the, or the ability to be able to understand how 
the different codes uh, that we are trying to apply play into you know some of the tensions and some of the challenges. And so, you know, whereas I, I you know, what what we see playing out often are issues around the septic side of things. Uh, that is that that starts to emerge because of uh, you know just a, a misfit between uh, our land use entitlement requirements and um, and what agricultural operators need to do. So, uh, you know, we we for many obvious reasons can't step back from uh, our drinking water requirements. Our septic requirements are really fundamental health and safety and environmental requirements. Uh, what we can do is find a way to make our overall processes, our overall entitlements uh, more workable and more responsive to what ag needs. Thank you. Um, and I just I really appreciate um, those responses. I think that's part of what this exercise or this effort terms of a team approach and doing going up that education curve it's not just the implementation side it's also the development side of program and code etc and, and um, I think it's really important to have our eye on the ball especially and this is my last question and I might have missed this in the presentation um, you know agriculture and supporting ag and a, a resilient ag uh, agricultural economy and those ag lands has sort of been a pillar of the county for many, many decades, along with pres preserving open space and, you know, really intentional urban uh, planning around uh, development and urban core and et cetera, et cetera. And um, it's, a, it's, a, a, it's a, a major chapter in our countywide general plan. And I'm just curious from a staff's perspective perspective in terms of participating in this work to what degree that general plan uh, elevation I would say and um, calling out of the of our ag our commitment to ag was actually part of the program itself in terms of in terms of staff understanding this pillar of I think um, Marin County's identity one pillar My impression, and it's just mine, I can't speak for everybody, is that it really reinforced that. Um, everybody gets you know, involved in their day-to-day -day routines, the day-to-day -day demands, uh, and it's easy to lose sight of you know, the, the kind of larger picture. And so I think one of the really valuable things about this exercise was, of course, the educational opportunity that it afforded to us uh, and the understanding, but also that connection to the bigger picture about what we're actually trying to achieve in terms of what Marin is going to look like in the future. And I think, you know, connecting with that, reinforcing that, I think did a lot of good for, for all of us who are involved. And, and also I want to just thank Vince because he did a just great job putting this together. Thank you. Supervisor Luthen. Uh, yeah, just one. Uh, really, thank you for the work. It's uh, really encouraging to see this cross-functional team in action and all the work that they're doing. Um, I think uh, kind of carrying on in the discussions we're having, I'm curious if for the ag team, do we have a, a defined scope of exactly how far the ag team uh, can go in this space? I mean, it, it's clear to me that it's not just, it doesn't stop at the farm, you're looking at farm stands, you're looking at markets, but how far down the stream do we go and even looking at, you know, in the scale of farm to table, are we expanding this work to uh, restaurants, the supply lines, distributions, the whole uh, ecosystem and local economy around this? I know. 
you know, restaurants uh, kind of maybe towards the, the tail end of it have a difficult, you know, regulatory environment as well oftentimes. So just curious, how, what is the scope and where, where does it end or is it sort of ever expanding? Uh, well, one example of one of the places that this effort is going, I think, I think we're going to keep discovering uh, places uh, that this goes and efforts that this informs. Um, you know, uh, Greg Peary, our deputy director for environmental health services, is in the audience. One of the efforts that he is really working on is a, a food micro business. Uh, so food vendors, microenterprise home kitchen operations, and uh, you know the the work that we did in the context of the ag team is really heightening our understanding of the role and importance of that piece of the the distribution and consumer side uh, of things. I, I would say another another place that this is really informing is our work around agricultural worker housing, uh, agricultural worker conditions and needs. So it's really kind of grown way beyond uh, the original intent of the program. And again, I would really credit Vince's responsiveness uh, to what he was hearing from us as we talked about um, what we really needed to get from this program because he continually adapted this program to make it as valuable as possible to the very broad work of the county. Such a critical part of our local economy, so I'm excited that you've assembled this all-star team to uh, look at these emerging issues. Thank you. Great. Uh, let's go to public comment. Is there anyone, I see someone in the chambers, and then there's one hand at least online. Good morning, Supervisors. Uh, Stefan Parnay, Agricultural Commissioner, Director of Weights and Measures. Just a few brief comments. Um, I, I just wanted to acknowledge Tom Lai for getting this ag team going again. Uh, just really important. Uh, and also, Supervisor Rodoni, your leadership in helping move it forward. And then uh, just the incredible, uh, outstanding leadership and guidance from Vince Trotter and Ellen uh, Camps. Just did a just fantastic job organizing everything and just you know, at changing things as needed to make it really effective and uh, for everybody. Um, then also, obviously, David Lewis and other members of his team uh, playing a support role. And uh, the ag team members, what a group. I mean, you guys are rock stars. It was really fun. I actually was able to go out to several of the field trips and watch them interact. And so you have different departments interacting between each other and, you know, talking about really important uh, topics that affect our agricultural uh, community and figuring out, well, how can we do this and work together? And it, it just the collaboration and the participation was just really uh, cool to see. So, um, and I think uh, today's presentation is really a, a testament uh, uh, to their engagement and understanding of, you know, what the purpose of the ag team is. So, thank you. Okay, if there's no one else in the chambers, we'll go online. Current speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. I'm a great fan of local agriculture and hope to see it preserved for the future. However, I think you need to be aware that its very existence, not just here in Marin, but globally, is in grave danger. I'd like to draw your attention to the 30,000 farmers in the Netherlands who are under threat of eviction from farms they have farmed for 
centuries and to the dairy farmers in Ireland who are being ordered to slaughter 100,000 head of their cows. Think Gary Kerrygold's uh, grass-fed butter. You may ask, how is this happening? It's under the orders of the climate alarmists at the World Economic Forum, what is known as the billionaire Davos crowd, based on their false assertions that these farmers and farms are contributing to their ill-founded ideas and notions of a future ecological disaster. They would rather have the common folk of the world eat bugs and other forms of processed and synthetic foods, a modern version of medieval living. I hope you will join the resistance to the destruction of small scale local organic food production. In doing so, keep your eyes on the plans of the World Economic Forum, their ideas for a great reset of the world economy. Let's preserve the farms in Marin, California and elsewhere and beware of the climate change agenda being used to regulate your businesses out of existence. We really need you. And um, we need to see that you're protected from these evil forces that are now moving across the, the world. Thank you. President Mo Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, I'm gonna bring it back to the supervisors now for any final comments. Yes, please, Supervisor Sackett. So I had the same question as Supervisor Radoni, which you answered, but just about how do we ensure that this work continues? Um, and I hope kind of in this next phase, thinking about how to continue to wrap in new staff as, you know, so that it really does become embedded and we don't lose it, you know, in, in the future because of, you know, turnover or retirements. I appreciated the mentioning of marketing and branding and agritourism because I think, you know, our with sort of the crisis facing our dairy farms and um, the, the state of agriculture, they really are diversifying and we are in such a unique place with the amount of tourism that we have. Um, to how they're marketing and branding and how they're able to sell micro, you know, micro foods kind of things is really such an important part of this business model that, I mean, it's, it's striking, not surprising, but striking to see $56,000 per operation. And I think that it's, it's hard to conceptualize in this county where, you know, a very small built out home to redo a bathroom doesn't, you know, it's gonna cost more than that. And there's a perception that people who own a whole bunch of land must, you know, bring in a lot of money. Um, and, and it's just such a mismatch. So I really appreciate kind of looking at how all the little different pieces that our agricultural partners have to look at in order to survive, frankly, it's not just um, one thing anymore. Um, and I also, you know, will just say on behalf of myself that I hope that the, that the team also recognizes their ability and power to advocate up. And if they're seeing, you know, barriers of policy that may not make sense when applied to the agricultural um, arena to let us know. Um, we don't see them, but if there are sort of those, this doesn't make sense on the ground. Um, 
I think there's an opportunity to carve out or look at agriculture different in you know our codes that oftentimes are are really focused on what the built environment is in the county. So I really appreciate the team. I think this is a best practice for the county of all the departments working together. I also think field trips are best practice. It really does make give you a different level of understanding that you can't feel when you just read about. So thank you so much. Great comments. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the rest of you made comments. I'm going to pile on and just say I agree with what my colleagues said. This was a wonderful job and really a great initiative uh, that you did, Vince, and all the team. And I know from my own work as a regulator that um, in the past that things on the ground are not always as they appear on paper. And so it's really important to get out there and it's important to get to know the people and see the real situation and then work with the people that you are um, that we're regulating to, to come up with solutions that are workable while achieving the intent of the regulations as well. I did want to flag something that I noticed uh, over the weekend as I was um, considering the role of ag in our county, which is so important. Uh, it was not, ag is not identified in our Marin Economic Forum strategic plan, oddly enough. We have tourism and recreation but I think there's some work to do to bring that re back to us, or that effort of report, uh, and, and enlarge it with uh, the things that uh, Supervisor Lucan, let's look at the whole food shed, as it were, uh, and because that is one of our pillars, as Supervisor Rice and Rodoni have said, and we, we really need to get it back up in front and get a renewed focus by this board on it for all kinds of reasons. And then finally, I would just say uh, that yes, field trips are great. I love them, and I hope that e you know e a series of field trips in the future, or even a core, uh, an annual confab where all the team comes again, that be one workable way to keep things fresh in everybody's mind. I have long thought that having liaisons to different communities in our staff departments would be great. So maybe there's an ag liaison in every department. That's probably what the team already is. But I think this is a really worthwhile effort, and I commend you all for it and want to see it continue and thrive along with our egg community. So with that, I would entertain a motion to accept the report. So moved. Second. Okay, motion by Verdoni, second by Rice. All in favor? Aye. Okay. Thank you, and thanks very much to everyone. Okay, we're going to move now to uh, item number seven. And uh, this is some benefit changes uh, that I think are very positive. I'll let our county administrator and county HR director tee this up. Good morning, Christina Kramer, Human Resources Director. Um, before you today is the recommendation to adopt some enhanced health and welfare benefits uh, for all county represented employees. To give you a little bit of context and background, each summer the county goes through a process where we get um, Kaiser's renewal rates um, and our other health plan renewal rates from our benefit um, consultant Siegel. Each year we understand what those rates are, the effect of the rates, we plan for open enrollment, and then the benefit plan year becomes effective at the end of December. Kaiser's rate history the past few years has been in the five to six percent range. 
And this year, because of very high administrative costs and impacts and experience, Kaiser quoted Marin a 17.1% increase, uh, which was uh, pretty shocking. <coughs> what we did is, in consultation with the county administrator and uh, a board subcommittee of supervisors Rodoni and Rice, we talked about what could be done to address this challenge. Um, the cost share uh, percentage with a 17.1 increase meant some pretty significant um, impacts on employee take-home pay, particularly for individuals who uh, have their um, dependence on uh, the county's health, health options. We worked with Kaiser. Um, we worked with some financial um, enhancements that the board adopted in your 2023-24 budget uh, for ongoing and one-time funding we began uh, sharing some information with the unions. We began introducing concepts with the unions. And then we went into a coalition um, type of meeting process with all of the labor unions to uh, come up with some options to address this issue. So before you today are those options that um, we came to agreement on. And so I'll review those with you briefly. Uh, the contractual amount, one of the unique things is that we're in closed contracts with all of our labor unions, and the contractual amount was 5% um, um, based on a calculation with one of the Kaiser plans. And um, that has been pretty consistent, as I said, within the past few years, that amount. So what we uh, went to do is to increase um, that increase of the fringe benefit over above and beyond the five contractual 5%. So that resulted in an increase of 9% for employees who are earning 79,000 or more, that's net, and uh, approximately 13% for employees who are earning under um, 79,000. So that's the recommendation before you, is to increase the fringe benefit amount to reflect um, those increased percentages and to reflect the tentative agreement that we came up with with our labor partners. The, Next area is the dependent enhanced and dependent care assistance program. That is um, a section IRS uh, 125 plan. There is a, an annual cap, um, but the concept is a two-year pilot program to have a matching contribution uh, by the county where the county would increase up to $46.15 for pay period up to a maximum of $1,200 a year. And then the third aspect is a supplemental benefit payment in lieu of additional fringe benefit increases. That is a one-time payment to employees based on their uh, enrollment status um, as of the last pay period, um, December 10th through the 23rd in 2023 of either $1,000 or $1,075 respectively. This amount also includes a, uh, an administrative error that we found in the fringe benefit increase for 2023. So your board did adopt um, in the budget an additional 500,000 ongoing and 2.5 million one-time funds. And so this cost is um, for the one-time uh, payment, the supplemental benefit payment in lieu um, is covered by that one-time cost, and the partial cost is 
is covered by the 500,000 that you adopted, and then the balance of that will be covered through um, higher than expected um, property tax revenues. So the recommendation today is to adopt these uh, new enhanced benefits for all represented groups. Questions? Thank you, Christina. One question on the new, can you just um, just quickly share what is the primary difference of the new third Kaiser plan? Yes, um, that's a deductible hospital, deductible HMO plan, and it's a very similar plan. It's a, it's a plan that's similar to our $25 deductible. It is a plan where it's very similar to well visits, um, you would still pay a $25 deductible and, excuse me, a copayment, and then the deductible comes into play when there is, for example, a hospital visit. So it is a low risk, very, very low risk. I have that a maximum annual out-of-pocket for an employee only is 3000 and for a family is 6000 and it also has a good prescription plan with only an increase, a reflected increase in $5 and $10 uh, respectively for um, generic and, and other prescription drugs. Okay, and then that's going to be this new plan and all these changes are going to be shared with our employees in a fairly comprehensive way? Yes, it will be covered in a lot of education efforts in the open enrollment um, period and the informational materials that get sent out and presented to employees. All right, thank you. Is on the... Um, the dependent care, uh, so the 4615 per pay period is a match if the employee contributes 4615 or more? Correct. Okay. And, and you can only set aside a, a total $5,000 over a, a year um, to that program. That's an IRS cap. So the county is, um, if you maximize the match, um, the county would contribute 1200 and the employee would contribute 3800 Okay, great. That, that's helpful. Um, and then I would just comment that when that information goes out, to make sure that it's really clear on what qualifies under that and what doesn't. Um, it, I think it gets more complicated as dependents are older um, uh, on what is rejected. The public comment now. Good morning, Raleigh Katzman, Association of Public Employees. <coughs> First, I want to note that you're not adopting enhanced benefits today. You're adopting an agreement between the unions and the county to modify our collective bargaining agreements to incorporate all those items that Ms. Kramer reviewed. I want to give to you some documents. For, and I want to note first that um, we appreciate and recognize the county's position in this matter. Um, as noted, um, you've agreed to pay more than you were contractually obligated to do, and we certainly recognize that and appreciate it. I also want to note, I'd be remiss if I didn't, that the question is how did we get ourselves in this position? And some of you recall in previous bargaining, we advocated very strongly but unsuccessfully that your obligation on health care be more than the maximum of 5%. And the reason for that was exactly what happened this year. 
as a face with employees on the pay, a significant amount for health care, which would have actually reduced take-home pay. And with all due respect, it's not sufficient for us as uh, our members to say, when we have a crisis like this, we're going to rely upon our employer's benevolence to do something to help. That's not what collective bargaining is about. Um, and the documents I'm giving you now, I think, go to the point we've been making over the years that you can afford to spend more on labor costs. So I've given you a document called Attachment B, which your staff provided us as part of our information request about what your uh, additional money you have, as you know in your budget every year you build in a $20 million to carry over from year to one year to the next, and then every year you have funds over that amount, which are always labeled as one-time money that use on one-time expenditures. And you'll see from your own chart that over the last decade you've had at least five, the lowest number is five million plus each year. Now, the last couple of years are probably outliers because you've had high, um, uh, per, uh, high, uh, vacancy rate and because of additional federal money for COVID. But if you look at those numbers, 5 million, 7 million, 8 million, uh, which we've always argued is not one-time money, but is actually ongoing money that could be spent on ongoing labor costs, whether it be paying more for health care, whether it be trying to have a goal of paying more than the median of other job of other counties, comparable agencies. And we think that your own documentation sh supports our contention. The second document I gave you is something our financial person generated from the Comprehensive Annual Fiscal Report, the CAFRA, and that compares how much revenue, tax revenue you budget when you adopt the budget, how much you say there is at the end of the year, and then what the CAFRA actually shows. And you will also see that every year what you say at the end of the year is more than what you said at the beginning of the year, and then the CAFRA shows even more than that. And interestingly, what you start the next year with is close to what you the actual number you finished the previous year with as opposed to assuming you'll have growth in that area. So I share all this with you uh, to make the point that we believe ongoing that you are in a position to spend more on labor costs and to maybe avert some of these problems. Thank you very much. Next, please. You can clarify because... Uh, it was my understanding that the additional $2.86 million that you slipped over to the sheriff on June 30th, a week after you accepted the very weak sheriff's Is this on oversight. the uh, benefits question? It sure is. It sure is. It's not appropriate for you to interrupt me. That's a violation of the Brown Act. And you do it all the time. As I was saying, there was an additional 2.86 that was uh, handed to the sheriff and it was my understanding from Jamie Scardina that that was going primarily to uh, additional compensation for the sheriff deputies. So it's not really clear to me why uh, they need even more money here. And I raise this not because I want to be mean to deputies. I think they're just working class guys. I'm a working class person. I have a certain amount of, you know, uh, respect for how difficult their job is, but there is damn little transparency about what's going on. And I, I, you know, for Raleigh to get up here and talk at such length with no interruption uh, and not raise any of the, the concerns about what, you know, is increasingly being euphemized as 
public safety in Marin County. I noticed this at the AOD board meeting recently. This isn't public safety, it's law enforcement. It needs to be called law enforcement. And it's getting more and more and more money under the Biden administration with very precious little oversight and your shared civilian oversight working group demonstrated that to a T. Uh, so maybe you can explain that uh, because I think there's been very little uh, transparency obviously, but there's also been very little effort on the part of the Board of Supervisors to really talk about the budget, um, to really talk about uh, what, where this additional money to the sheriff went, and, and then since it went, if it was to go to compensation for, for deputies, uh, then why uh, is, is this necessary? Thank you. Online now. First speaker is Susanna Farber. Please unmute. Good morning, Supervisors. Uh, Susanna Farber with Teamsters 856. We represent uh, the probation uh, and juvenile correction officers, uh, de deputy district attorneys, uh, as well as MCMEA, uh, the mid-management group. And I just wanted to um, reiterate and emphasize some of Raleigh's comments made previously. Um, you know, I think there was a lot of conversation. I, I do want to first thank um, Christina and Lisa and Matthew. Um, I think there was more openness to some of the conversations and ideas that we brought to the table and willingness to try to uh, reach something that worked a little better, better for our members in probation and DA. So I do wanna appreciate the flexibility there and I do wanna appreciate the um, coming to the table, but I think there's sort of this idea that, oh, we are going above and beyond what our MOU requires, um, which, you know, the vacancy rate has been very high for many years in Marin County, and we're not seeing these sort of one-time money payments do really anything about it. And I think that continuing to sort of try to throw one-time money like the 250000 rental assistance pot and sort of these like one-time one $1,000 payments towards people um, is not really doing anything to address the systemic nature. And um, most of the agreements do have a healthcare subcommittee with the county uh, in it. So I, my hope is that we can utilize that to try to more specifically address the systemic nature of why healthcare is not, Marin is not keeping pace with healthcare. A lot of it has to do with other counties provide additional money towards dental. Um, and although this year will be the first time that Marin has a plan that covers the full family under the Western Health, the, the location of providers is not great. And so in Sonoma, you have what, at least two or three plans that provide full coverage for families in Napa. It pays a certain percentage, regardless of how much those premiums go up. And so I think we just need a different model. So thank you so much. The next speaker is MCSO Reentry. Please unmute. Good morning, uh, board, Justin Swift, uh, Marin County DSA president. I just wanna take a quick second to thank uh, Christina and Lisa and their teams for the work they did on this and just kind of piggyback Susanna and Raleigh. Uh, the DSA definitely agrees with, with their stance and what they said. Uh, and again, just thank the county for uh, what they did today. Thank you. The next speaker is Clayton Smith, please unmute. Prior to the early 1960s, there was a general prohibition against the unionization of government employees. 
before this was changed, governments used to be able to maintain budgets that were reasonably close to balance. Following the permission for government employees to unionize, governments began to steadily descend into habitual and growing deficit spending to the point where the federal government, which the county government is, is substantially dependent on, is approaching insolvency. These deficits are what's driving the rate of inflation. Being a legalized monopoly of many essential services gives government inherent advantages over the private sector and the economy. And over the last several decade, decades, unionized government workers have taken full advantage of those advantages to increase their positive pay differential over that of workers in the private sector whose taxes pay for that differential. Added to this are these generous medical benefits um, often pegged to the rate of inflation. These are something almost unheard of anymore in the private sector. As a tax-paying member of the private sector, I think it's time to stop granting these endless increases in compensation until the bulk of the country's workforce has had a chance to catch up. As a point of note, for those of us who have the Anthem Medicare-sponsored uh, Rx program, our Rx coverage is increasing 40% this coming year. And no one's stepping up to increase our compensation. Thank you. I'll bring it back, Director Kramer. Is there anything that you'd like to respond to that came up in public comment? No, uh, but I hear I hear the comments. Thank you. Okay, very good. We'll bring it back to the board. Any further discussion? So, move adoption of the recommendation. Okay, motion by Luke and second by. Second, all in favor? Aye. 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 Item number eight, this is a related item for unrepresented county employees. Yes, supervisors. So I'll present this item just because I'm familiar with our past practice regarding um, really matching what we give to represented employees to our unrepresented employees. And as Christina mentioned, there are three adjustments that are before you today. One is increasing the benefit allowance. Uh, similar to those of represented, uh, where it's a, an additional 4%, 9% um, total for above 79,000, and just over 12% total for those under 79,000. Um, we will also be enhancing the dependent care coverage, um, as outlined uh, at the previous item. And then lastly, as I pointed out in the administrator's report, there's a one-time supplemental benefit payment and we inadvertently uh, excluded elected officials, but the revised staff report does include them and we think that's appropriate. Um, the reason we made that mistake is that the previous two years when we did retention benefits, the elected officials did not get that. So uh, happy to answer any questions. Uh, the fiscal impact of this is just over $400,000 total uh, with 150,000 being ongoing. Public comment. There's no one in the chambers. 
President Mullen Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. All right, we'll bring it back. Someone would like to move it. I move we approve this item. Second. Okay, motion Udoni, second by Rice. All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, number nine, appointments, AOD board. So everybody's here. Six vacancies due to term expirations. Three applications have been received. One applicant has met the criteria, and a recommendation letter has been received. I would move the appointment of Craig Lewis. Second. Any public comment? Um, uh, Mr. Heimel, I hope you would not leave during this comment. Um, Two weeks ago, Mr. Heimel told me that he would look into uh, what was going on with the uh, Women's Commission because it seems not to have met its own bylaws requirements. And um, I would say also the Alcohol and Drug Advisory Board uh, seems to have been um, absent um, many of its, its essential uh, membership. I would also point out that you just approved someone, uh, Mr. Lewis, we do not have um, his application available as far as I can tell um, from the material you submitted, so it was inappropriate um, for you to, to do that. Uh, I would also point out that I was at the Alcohol and Other Drugs Advisory Board um, on September 11th. And the presentation that uh, was given by Marin Healthy Youth Partnerships um, was very deceptive. They declined uh, to note that they are funded by the ONDCP, which is an extremely dysfunctional um, agency office, uh, federal office, um, and they've come up with an absolutely brain-dead campaign. One thing I'd like to point out, and, and which I made the argument for it in the Substack article last weekend, is that Marin Healthy Youth Partnerships has not actually achieved anything. For every year that they've been uh, in operation, and they were first sponsored uh, by Twin Cities Police Department, which the police authority, which they also declined uh, to divulge. Um, the the drug problem and the alcohol problem in Marin County has worsened, and so you keep giving money um, to entities that are dysfunctional, and you never ask for any um, accountability. And I noticed uh, Supervisor Rice that you had given. Um, glowing recommendation to Marin Healthy Youth Partnership, and it does not speak well to um, your ability to, to actually look into what's happening. It seems like very much an insider's game. Thank you, we're at time. Is there any comment online? President Mullen Peters, there are, no there are no speakers in the queue, excuse me. Okay, we'll bring this back to the board. What would you all like to do? Well, I moved appointment of Craig Lewis, and then I just have one note. I just um, um, wanna make sure that as is uh, included in the bylaws that, um, and I just am reminding the clerk because we usually do the swearing in of um, new commission appointments that they must have received um, the training, the Brown Act and Robert Rules of Order and have, um, excuse me, 
Before a member is sworn in, they must receive an, and review a copy of the Marin County Board and Commission Handbook and the bylaws of the County Advisory Board. Um, so I just want to make sure that before folks are sworn in that um, we are affirming that that's happening. Thank you. And I had seconded the motion. Motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. 9B, Flood Control Zone, number seven. I'll make the appointment um, of Evan Marks to Flood Zone 7. Second. Okay. In fact, there's a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, that brings us to the Personnel Commission. And uh, I'd like somebody to move. I'll move that we appoint um, James Finkelstein and Maureen Holsher. We have a motion. Is there a second? Second. Thank you. Public comment. I see one hand uh, up online. Senator Farber, please unmute. Sorry, am I unmuted now? Yes, you are. Okay. For the personnel commission, um, I think it's very important to hold interviews for those positions. And so that because there are three for two, um, I would really encourage the board to hold schedule interviews for those three on the personnel commission because it's incredibly important and could uh, and would make the request that you invite labor to come to the interviews. President Mullen Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, we'll bring it back to the board. Have a motion? No, we had a motion and a second, did we? Sorry, I'm flagging. Uh, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Thanks. Okay. Right, moving now to close. Board of Supervisors, we will now is the Open Space Board of Directors. We'll go to good morning. 